Hello, Monetization Nation. On today's episode, I'm joined by Srini Rao. Srini is the host and the founder of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where he's interviewed more than a thousand people, ranging from bank robbers to billionaires. His guests have included Danielle Laporte, Glenn Beck, Tim Ferriss, Ellie Luna, Seth Godin, and hundreds of others. He's also the author of the book, The Art of Being Unmistakable. Uh, which was a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Thank you so much for joining us today, Srini. Absolutely, my pleasure. To start off, can you share with us something that you are super passionate about? Yeah, um, well, I mean, I think one of the things that uh, this has been an instrumental part of my work, even though I don't live in California anymore, uh, was surfing. Surfing was one of those things that just kind of accidentally came into my life. I graduated from business school, you know, no job, no money, I had to move back to my parents' house. Um, but turns out that surfing is a fantastic hobby for an unemployed person because it takes a ton of time and it doesn't cost money. Um, so it you know, it was one of those things that I had no idea that it would have the influence on my life that it did. Um, the first book I ended up writing with a publisher was all organized in surf metaphors. I mean, it literally changed the trajectory of my career, which is strange because the sort of stereotype of surfers is that, you know, they're all just a bunch of beach bums. You don't care about anything but surfing. And, you know, that's, that's true, but you can find something to validate any stereotype and you can also find exceptions. And the, the funny thing is that you know, when people who don't surf think about surfing, they kind of have this sort of Jeff Spicoli fast times at Ridgemont high perception. Uh, but the funny thing is you never almost meet anybody like that. Um, they're just people who love the ocean and, and love riding waves and uh, they kind of get the, the joy of it. There's just nothing quite like it. I mean, it's one of those things that just adds a tremendous amount of joy and, and you know, playfulness to your life. It teaches you how to be present. Uh, it's full of life lessons. It's a perfect metaphor for everything we deal with in life. What are some of your best surfing analogies for life and for business? Well, I think the big one is, is something known as the impact zone, which I wrote about in you know my my first book uh, that I wrote with a publisher. But um, so if you're if you watch the ocean, you'll see that waves actually come in sets. They don't come you know one at a time. You'll see five, six at a time, and there's an area you know sort of between each wave known as the impact zone. It's ideally where you never want to end up, but it's inevitably where you're going to end up at some point or another. And the only way not to end up there is not to get in the water. And I think that that's a good metaphor for dealing with adverse circumstances in our lives, because, you know, if you're going to do anything worth doing, inevitably, you're going to run into challenges. There are going to be parts of it that suck. There are going to be parts that are hard. There are going to be moments when you want to give up. There are going to be moments why you, you know, wonder why you're bothering. And I think that to me, that was probably the most profound metaphor that I got for, for surfing. Um, and then the other one, I think, you know, when you actually go and look, you'll see that uh, if you watch somebody ride a wave, they're not actually coming straight. They're actually going right or left. And so part of what they're doing the entire time is they're adjusting to whatever the wave is doing. And so that's kind of the way our lives are too, right? We constantly adjust to the circumstances of our lives in order to get to where we want to go. Um, because if we don't, then you know we become victims to our circumstances. Can you share with us a little more of your story, your journey to become this expert podcaster and Wall Street Journal bestseller and and uh, expert in in creative habits. Yeah, well, for first, let me um, <clears throat> sort of dispel this whole expert idea. I'm a person who has made observations through experience, and you know, people think of that as expertise, but that's not really expertise. Um, I wouldn't, you know, think of myself as an expert, but somebody who is a practitioner more than an expert, uh, because I've just done a lot of these things, and I, most of what I've written about, you know, done is you know, come from just sort of learning. But uh, it, it actually starts uh, about ten years ago, uh, as I mentioned, I graduated from business school with no job. Uh, 
no money. It was a tough time to be out of school because it was April, 2009. The economy was pretty much in a tailspin. Uh, nobody was hiring and nobody was definitely hiring MBAs who were looking for jobs that started at $90,000, you know, a year as a starting salary. So to pass the time, I, I started a blog um, for two reasons. One, because I thought it would help me pass the time. And the other was that it would help me stand out in the job market. Uh, but keep in mind, prior to, to that first blog, there were five or six that were just absolute duds. One was a project called 100 Reasons You Should Hire Me. And I couldn't come up with 100 reasons why anybody should hire me. At that point, I realized it's <laughs> a much bigger problem than you know trying to stand out in the market. And I think that, that that was kind of you know what this was about, was to showcase tangible evidence of the skills I had, because at that point, resumes were becoming really sort of obsolete. And I, I still think they are, because uh, you know, when you're submitting resumes to a job board, you're basically just competing against everything else that's out there. You're praying that you'll match up, you know, the keywords that a recruiter is looking for. It's all about, you know, working the system as opposed to, you know, being hired for what you're truly gifted at. Uh, so it was largely accidental. Uh, so I enrolled in this course called Blog Mastermind by a guy named Yara Stark, uh, which was sort of the first thing I did. My dad gave me the money to enroll in the course. And uh, <clears throat> one of the lessons in the course was to interview somebody uh, as a way to get traffic to your blog. They were all tactics. And so every week he would send out a lesson. The lesson would take maybe an hour or so. And um, so I would do the lesson because I had nothing else to do. And I would write every day. So I would write and surf and you know I would apply for jobs in the morning. Uh, and so that just kind of kicked off this whole thing. And then by, uh, so instead of doing one interview, I actually started a weekly series on my blog called interviews with up and coming bloggers. And it was literally nothing more than just an MP3 file attached to a blog post with some bullet points. Like I didn't design a website. I didn't do anything. In fact, um, I wrote about the, this on an article on medium titled, you know, a minimum viable podcast, because I think that one thing that people do wrong, and this isn't just isolated to podcasts is they invest, you know, thousands of dollars in equipment and, you know, like all this fancy stuff and when they don't even have an audience. And so that never made any sense to me. And, and I think any startup founder would tell you, you know, minimum viable product is the way to go. You don't want to invest a fortune in stuff when you have no audience. That just doesn't make any sense. The funny story, we actually recorded probably 80 episodes, maybe more with the built-in microphone on the MacBook until one of our listeners said, I love your show, but your sound sucks. Then I'm sending you a microphone. So that's the, the interesting thing. You can overcome a lot of things if the quality of the content is good. Um, you know, obviously like now, 10 years later, we've upped our, our production poll quality significantly. It's, it's a different ball game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was largely accidental. I mean, I didn't have plans to start a podcast. I, I don't even listen to podcasts. They're my least preferred form of media. I actually don't like audio. I don't listen to audiobooks. Um, you know, I go back and review hours mainly because I want to see what I could have done better. Um, and sometimes I want to, revisit something that I learned from one of our guests. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't the, the result of, of following trends, which I, I think is, is definitely sort of one of the underlying messages of my work is to do the exact opposite of what other people do or not to follow in their footsteps. Um, because the problem with sort of prescriptive advice in general is it doesn't account for the one variable that actually makes that advice ineffective. And that's the person following the advice. And I was just talking to a, a friend today. It's like, you know, Seth Godin says, you know, do this, this, and this. And it's like, well, the number one thing that you need to concede is just like, so the first step in that advice is to be Seth Godin. Well, you can't be Seth Godin. So that advice is not going to work for you. 
And so I think that that's one of the, the dangers I see in prescriptive advice, particularly online. And I, you know, this is a lesson that has just come back over and over again for me. I mean, even in that blog mastermind course, the lesson was conduct one interview as a way to get traffic to your blog, not start a weekly series and spin it out. So I take a course on how to start a blog and end up starting a podcast. You know, you talk about going off the rails or deviating from the path, but often it's in those sort of deviations from what's expected where you start to get the most interesting results, interesting insights and, and you know, fascinating work. Um, because the sort of tendency, I think, of the online world in particular, and this is what my, my first book of the publisher was largely about, is to say, look at what somebody does and say, okay, if I do what this person did, I will get the result that they did. Well, that's not true because you're not that person. Um, you know, and so one of the things that I think is difficult even for me to offer advice on podcasts is that I started 10 years ago. That's a context that other people don't have and they can't replicate. Uh, you know, it, that's literally, it's like, oh, you want to replicate my strategy? Great. <laughs> Travel back in time, invent the flex, you know, invent the flex capacitor, you know, uh, meet Doc Brown, get him to, you know, put the flex capacitor on a DeLorean, make yourself a time machine and go back 10 years ago. And then you can follow my footsteps. Um, so I think that that's, that's one thing you got to really think about is context when people are giving advice. That's, you know, and that's something that's largely overlooked. How long did it take before you got traction on your blog? On your podcast, uh, you know, I think that this is, in some ways, this is a hard question to answer uh, because the the caveat here, and this is something somebody had asked me, some version of this, if you know, a couple of weeks back on a podcast. The caveat is I'm giving you this answer from the perspective of somebody who has been at this for ten years, has an audience, all of that. So, so keep that in mind. Um, I think that sort of the real first sort of indication that we were onto something was about six months in, uh, you know, we were starting to hear from listeners. We we're getting positive feedback. And like I said, I mean, we were so far ahead of the curve uh, when it came to this, you know, we're 10 years ahead of something that became a massive cultural trend at the time people said podcasts were dead. And so that's one big lesson is I learned you don't just do something uh, because everybody says you should. In fact, I, you're better off creating trends than following them. And so that was big. Um, that made a huge difference in terms of, of you know, where we're at. But I mean, to get to the point of any level of sustainable success to the point where we can make a career out of it, anywhere between four to five years, and even five years in, it was still doubtful uh, as to whether I would actually get to the point where I could build this into a sustainable career. Um, it probably was about year seven, I think, when I got my book deal. Then I started getting paid speaking engagements. And then I think about two years ago, we raised a round of venture funding from PodFund. Um, so and all like, you know, as cliche as it is 10 years and, you know, yeah. like, and we're not even close to, to sort of where we want to be or where we need to be. It's, you know, it's basically an uh, iterative process, right? It's incremental. It's not, you know, sort of one giant leap, nothing that you see in the public eye, even though it looks like it comes out of nowhere, um, especially when it hits big it's almost always an incremental process of the things that you never saw. You know, if you go back and you trace the progression of any creator, you'll see really bad content to their background, you know, flops, duds, everybody, you know, like some of the, the best-selling authors on Amazon have three or four books that nobody has ever read or nobody ever heard about until their this the most late recent book became this like massive success. Let's go to creative habits. Um, the topic of your podcast, the topic of your book, um, what are creative habits? Well, I mean, a creative habit is like any other habit. It just happens to be creative. So, you know, writing is a creative habit. Painting is a creative habit. Um, but, you know, I think that the thing that anybody who says they're not creative is missing is that the only difference between them and other people is the people who are creative are in the habit of expressing their creativity on a regular basis. Like, uh, 
you know, if you want to be a good writer, you have to make it a writing, you have to develop a writing habit. You know, it's just over and over, you see evidence of this. And once something becomes a habit, then you actually start to basically get from sort of habit to practice to mastery. Um, so it's, you, there's no sort of, you know, I, I think a lot of times people want to have sort of this, Hey, give me the formula to get from where I'm at to where you're at. And it doesn't work like that. Okay. So why, why should we want to have creative habits? Well, I mean, so let's, let's look at the, you know, any goal that you accomplish, right? Often people will set a goal and let's just use book writing as an example, because that's the one I happen to be the most familiar with. Um, so let's say that you have a goal to write a book. Well, you can focus on the goal or you can focus on the behavior that leads to the goal. The behavior that leads to the goal is a writing habit, but more often than not, people will focus on the goal, but they ignore the habit that actually leads to the goal. And the funny thing is, if you focus on changing your behavior, you know, I, I just another, had another article at Medium about this recently, um, but why changing your behavior actually leads to better results um, than setting goals. And often changing your behavior will, you know, when you change your behavior, your results will exceed your expectations. So I'll give you, you know, an example from my life. Um, you know, I mentioned Julian Smith earlier. He turned me on to the habit, habit of, of writing a thousand words a day. When I met Julian in, when I interviewed Julian in 2013, uh, I want, I had like a lot of, of bloggers at the time. I had the goal of getting a book deal with a publisher and I gave up on that goal. And instead I focused on the behavior of writing a thousand words a day. And the results were far better than anything I thought they would ever be. So um, first I ended up self-publishing a book that, you know, as you alluded to earlier, was a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And then I didn't just get a book deal. I got a two book deal with one of the best publishers in the world, Penguin Portfolio, that, you know, happens to be the imprint where Simon Sinek, Ryan Holiday, Seth Godin, all these people are published. Uh, so that was, you know, a big lesson for me in the fact that, that behavior matters more than outcomes because behavior is what leads to the outcomes that you want. Um, and that's true whether we're talking about creative habits or any other habit. So how do we build those creative habits? Well, What's the secret? Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, this is, you know, one of those things that James Clear is probably the expert on this, obviously, having had his book sell more than a million copies, but it really comes down to starting small. I mean, if you think about you know, when we start, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they try to make drastic changes. So decide, you know, let's say you want to develop an exercise habit uh, and you're like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to go there five, six days a week and I'm going to lift hundred pounds. Well, if you've never gone to the gym and you've never lifted hundred pounds on day one, you're going to injure yourself and that will be the end. You won't go back. Uh, so part of it is making it sustainable, you know, starting small enough that you can build up over time. And when I say small, people say how small it's like so small that it's impossible for you not to follow through. So one thing that we have people do when we teach them, you know, how to develop a writing habit is a, tell them, don't even worry about writing first, get in the habit of just sitting down at your desk to write, do that for as many days in a row as you can, because then what will happen is eventually you'll think, oh, well, I keep sitting here or then so okay, now, you know, in the week two, open the notebook and, you know, see if you can sustain that. What will happen eventually is inertia will kick in and you'll say, well, I keep sitting down at this damn desk. I keep opening this damn notebook. I might as well write something in it. Um, and so you start with a paragraph and once a paragraph or a sentence, and even a sentence, it doesn't really matter um, how big it is. What matters is how consistent you are. Uh, you want to aim for consistency over intensity when it comes to habits of any kind. And you know, once you get to a point of consistency, then you start to increase the intensity. So you go from a paragraph to, you know, you go from a sentence to a paragraph from a paragraph to a page, from a page to a chapter. And you get to a point where eventually that's just second nature. Uh, but the thing is, it's incremental. So you don't see progress 
that's uh, and so this takes us to the importance of how you measure progress. You don't want to measure your progress based on your outcomes. You want to measure your progress based on your actions. Um, so if you, you know, remember, sort of you may have famously heard the, the Jerry Seinfeld story when some young comedian goes up to him and says, how do I you know, become great? You know, how do I start to write jokes? And he says, okay, put a calendar on your wall and write jokes. And every day put an X on the wall on the calendar. And then basically, eventually you'll have a chain and just don't break the chain. And that's how you actually do this. It's surprisingly and stupidly simple um, to understand, but harder to execute because I think people also need to examine their motivations. It's like, why do you want to do this thing, right? If you don't actually care that much about this thing, then you're not going to be motivated to develop the habit. That actually matters. Uh, and then, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the sort of not so inspiring side of this is personality and genetics, uh, which unfortunately play a role. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of things that we can't replicate. You know, we, we use outliers as role models and it's always a bad idea because the context of their lives is very different. But, you know, like I was raised by Indian parents who instilled rigid discipline where anything but straight A's was not acceptable in my household. You know, that's just how we were raised. So I don't have to like, you know, do anything to motivate myself to get up and write. I just do it. Um, because that's just kind of how I was, I was, you know, raised it, like that conditioning is there. And so trying to change that is, is, you know, not impossible, but it's hard if that's not the way you were raised. So those things matter, uh, you know, a lot. And I, I think that, that, you know, your personality will also determine like, what is your level of drive? Like, are you going to do these things because you're ambitious because you want these things and you're motivated to do them? You know, take a look at my friend, Ryan holiday, right? Ryan writes a book every year. Um, and the way that Ryan works, not everybody can work like that. And not everybody should try to work like that, but we all want to be like that. We all want to be the people that we look up to, even though the chances that we will be is almost zero. In your book, you say that we should think more like an artist rather than a marketer. Why yeah. is that so important? And, and how do we do that? Yeah, it's kind of funny, right? Because I, it almost says like, I've told you the opposite, I've told you the opposite uh, throughout our conversation. So here's, here's, this is the, the sort of balancing act. Okay. Um, when people think too much like marketers, they end up watering down their work and they create stuff that just caters to the lowest common denominator. It's like, yeah, you can optimize your you know, post for eyeballs or you optimize you know, this thing to reach as many people as possible. But I think Austin Kleon summed this up beautifully when he said, what you're after is hearts, not eyeballs. Uh, because the thing is that when you're able to actually touch someone emotionally, then they're going to be much more passionate about your ideas. Whereas if you optimize for metrics and you get clicks, but nobody gives a shit, what's the point? Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting balance of thinking like, an, you know, less like more like an artist and less like uh, a marketer. But when you get to the business side of this thing and notice I said owner, not marketer. Um, so that that's one clear distinction because, you know, you're not here to sort of just say, oh, let me try to optimize for reaching as many people as possible. The, the goal really should be, let me create something that resonates, you know, as deeply as possible versus trying to reach as many people as possible. Because take a look at stuff on sites like Business Insider, right? It reaches a lot of people. Is any of it memorable? Does any of it stick in your mind as, oh, that was, you know, that really influenced my thinking? No. Um, but then you know, look at somebody like Seth Godin, who publishes every day. Seth himself has said he's never had a single blog post that's gone viral, which is crazy. Um, it's just a result of, you know, building trust with his audience over time that's allowed, enabled that. How do we become artists in our business? Well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, it, it's to really stop sort of just thinking in tactics and, you know, start to be more playful with it and, 
you know, ask yourself, like, how could I do this in a way that's more interesting, more provocative? You know, um, my, my friend, Eric Lermux uses the, the phrase provocative with a purpose, you know, not just provocative for the sake of it, because we could be provocative by posting nude pictures of ourselves, but that's probably not what we want to do here. Um, so that's, that's one thing I think about it is, you know, being provocative, um, and, you know, what is your interpretation of that? So we're so quick to look at, oh, what is everybody else doing? Oh, if I do that, you know, um, then my stuff will be more cool. So I think you have to kind of look at sort of your own instincts, your own values. I mean, to me, I mean, a lot of this just stemmed from the fact that I really liked visual art. I liked, um, you know, I, I, I part, you know, part of it was just, you know, who was basically influencing me. I think the big one, this is actually the way to sum it up. You mix up other people's ingredients to create your own recipes is how I would sum it up. Mix it. I love that. So you go find the other ingredients from other people, you learn from them, and then you you put them together yeah. in the in the way that is uniquely you. I love it. Exactly. Yeah. It reminds me of something. When I was when I was studying in my MBA program, one of the marketing professors, one of the professors uh, was talking about R&D. And normally you think of R&D as research and development, but he said, R&D is ripoff and design. And he said, you should go study the best people in the industry, learn what they're doing, what's made them successful. And then you need to design something that's uniquely you, create your yeah. unique contribution. Totally. That's a good way of putting it. You don't have to start from scratch. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you try to do something. You should mm -hmm. start by researching what the most successful people have already done in that space. Yeah. What kind of systems or processes would you recommend to help us be more effective at our creative work? Well, um, it's funny you ask. I have an infographic that I can I can send you after we're done that literally goes, you know, through this step by step. Uh, you know, so I mean, the big one. So it starts with capturing uh, ideas, you know, insights, whatever. And this is where most people miss the boat. Like nobody has a shortage of ideas; they just lack the discipline to capture them. So if you get in the habit of capturing your ideas, eventually you will start to have lots and lots of ideas. So you'll never have a shortage of ideas. So you know, whether it's you know a blog, podcast, guess whatever. Every time you have an idea, write it down somewhere, somewhere that you'll be able to access later. Like you know, I'm constantly writing down ideas for blog posts and you know things. Um, then you take the time to reflect on those ideas. Um, and this is one thing people don't understand is that, you know, the creative process isn't linear. You might have an idea today. So for example, I might have an idea for something um, that I write down, you know, three years ago and it materializes today um, because I couldn't make sense of it until now. I needed to connect the dots between all those things. Uh, you know, I mean, even the process of writing a book was kind of the same thing for me. Like, I, you know, a lot of the ideas for my book were the byproduct of seven years of, of you know, writing down different things, you know, writing different blog posts. So, um, you know, I, ideas take time to bake, I guess is the way to put it. And so that during that time of, of baking, what you're doing is you're reflecting, you're thinking about your ideas. Um, and then comes, you know, uh, the, the next piece, which is, is execution, like go in and do the thing that you say you want to do. Um, and if I remember correctly, let me actually pull up the blog post just so I can yeah. have a reference. Um, okay. So, you know, the next part is you're going to express whatever your idea is. Um, then, you know, you, then I remember because it took me a very long time to come up with this infographic because I wanted to use the word create and I couldn't figure out what the acronym, you know, what words would make up the acronym. So this is it, right? So you, you express the idea when you actually, you know, do it, you know, and, and you write it down. If you have an idea for a blog post, you express it by writing the blog post. Then, you know, you amplify it um, by revisiting it, by, you know, editing, by making it better, 
um, then you tell people about it because if you don't tell people about it, nobody's going to know. So you have to tell people. And, and so you kind of have to get comfortable with self-promotion and then, you know, an idea evolves. And this basically is sort of a cycle that you go through over and over again. Um, even though it, it looks linear here, it's not. Um, because there's nothing you know in, in the creative life that is linear. Uh, it's just kind of how it goes. But you, you're constantly going through this process and, and going back and forth between all of these steps. Thank you so much, Srini, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, if we're going to do anything worth doing, inevitably we're going to run into challenges. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Number two, one strategy may work for one person, but not another. We must sift through the advice to find what will work for us or forge a new path. Number three, once something becomes a habit, then we start to get from habit to practice to mastery. Number four, changing behavior leads to better results than setting goals. Number five, to build creative habits, we need to start small and slowly increase the intensity of the habit. Number six, when we're able to touch someone emotionally, they're going to be much more passionate about our ideas. Number seven, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Number eight, we can create by capturing, reflecting on, expressing, amplifying, telling and evolving our ideas. To learn more about or connect with Srini, you can find him on LinkedIn or visit his website at unmistakablecreative.com. And there's links to both of those sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get a free ebook about passion marketing that I wrote and learn how to become a top priority for your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success as you develop your creative habits. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.